Hello. Good morning. Welcome to Joy Church. Good to see everyone. Man, that was incredible, right? What a fun movie. Um, how many of you guys were able to come to our movie in the park and watch that movie? That was awesome. Um, our kids, that was their first time seeing that movie, the movie in the park. And then the next day, we actually took them to Incredibles 2. So right now, everything is about the Incredibles at our house. Um, Jack, he's four years old. He loves Dash, right? And so now every time he's like, he like, you know, gets ready and then he runs really fast and he thinks he's as fast as, as Dash. And, and there's actually a character in the movie called Jack. It's the baby. You didn't see them in this clip. His name's Jack Jack. And I'm like, why don't you just be Jack? His name is Jack Jack. But of course he's four. So being a baby is the worst thing in the whole world. So he, he wants to be Dash. But that's such a fun movie about a family. They have their they have superpowers, right? But they have to keep them hidden for a time. And so they're trying to live completely normal lives. And then um, evil comes, as it always does with superhero movies, right? And so they are called upon to save the world. And so each of them uses their unique powers in order to help save the world. And it's, it's such a fun movie. Um, I'm trying to convince my son that if he runs across a lake, it's not going to turn out exactly the same way. Um, also, my daughter, she keeps talking about this movie. She's sick. She's like, Mom, don't you think we should all get suits like that incredible family? And we could all wear them? And I'm like, no. No, we're not going to do that. But um, in first service, Jake actually promised that he would get one like Mr. Incredible. He wasn't embarrassed at all. So he's going to um, do that for next week, right? Perfect. Um, no, let's not. Let's not do that. Okay. Um, I'm so glad that you guys are here today. You know, um, I, I have three little kids. I, I did the four number. Did you guys notice that? Three little kids. The pinky was coming down. And, um, and they are six years old and under. So we watch a lot of shows like this. And my kids like the superhero kind of shows. And um, so they watch cartoons with superheroes and they watch movies with superheroes. And they love it, right? Probably because it's, you know, this world that we don't have. We're not able to elastigirl our bodies, right? It's so funny because Evie keeps comparing our family to this family because there's five people in the Incredibles family, except I relate way more to the frozen guy's wife than I do to Elastigirl, <laughs> right? That's that scene, you know, I am the good, right? <laughs> I don't know what it is, the best good you'll ever have or whatever. But um, I relate way more to her than I do to Elastigirl. But she, um, you know, we, they love these kind of shows. And what's interesting I've noticed about kid cartoons is they usually have a similar theme where there's these kids and they're all trying to do something, right? And then one of them decides, I can do it by myself. I don't need everybody else in the group and I'm going to do it by myself. And then the moral of the story is that we all need each other and it was better when they all work together to get something done. And that is honestly what most cartoons, this is a spoiler alert for you, most cartoons are about besides Sesame Street, right? But they're really about like, no, you have to work together and then together we are better. And I find that an interesting theme that we show to kids because I've noticed with my kids, and other kids, like when we go to a park or whatever, my kids will go to a park, play with complete strangers, and they don't have a problem working together. 
right? And in fact, my kids were at a park uh, about a month ago with uh, the Hall kids, and they know these kids. They're their friends. They know them, and they had, there's a water feature with sand, and we let our kids, I never let my kids play with sand because Jake hates it. So I'm like, no, don't play with the sand. It gets everywhere, but I mean, who cares? They get peanut butter everywhere, so it doesn't really matter. They get sand everywhere. But we, you know, I said, okay, today you can play with sand. And so they had this water feature going, and they made a river, and then they made a dam, and they dammed up the river. And they were working together, but there was also other kids in that park who were coming along and helping them, and they were all doing it together. It was Super cute. There was a couple older kids, and they were the ones, they were saying they were the foremen, you know, they were the bosses, and they were the ones in charge of the water, and they were telling the little kids what to do. Penny was just sitting in mud the whole time. And I was like, Penny, come on, right? She's three, so she didn't understand the concept. Also, Jack at one point began to dig out the very bottom of the dam, and we were like, this is not going to work out, bro. And just like putting that sand back on top, you know, from the bottom back on top, we were like, you don't understand it. Not an engineer. But, you know, so they, they were all working together. They didn't have a problem with working together. And that's what I've noticed, is that little kids don't have a problem working together. As kids get older, they do. And us as adults, we definitely do, huh? You see, with little kids, they notice the differences that every kid has, that their friends have, that strangers have, but they don't really exclude people because of those differences. But it's us, as we get older, that we really begin to see the differences in ourselves, in the people around us, in our neighbors, our coworkers, boss, our family members. And it leads us to begin to start comparing ourselves with others. You know, comparison always leads to either pride or jealousy. Every time. Whenever I look at someone else and I'm actually better than them, sometimes this actually happens, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, my kid is behaving better than your kid. <laughs> One time in my whole life, this has happened, wow. Right, and I begin to compare myself. Oh, maybe, oh, I'm, I'm like way better looking than they are, or I'm better at doing that than they are, or I, you know, am, am more funny than that person. That one's always true. But, you know, we have different things, and we look at someone, and we compare ourselves to them, and it makes us be prideful, right? It puffs us up. So we went, oh, I'm better than them right? Or we compare ourselves with someone who we think they're better than us. Maybe they have more money than us. They have a life that we would rather have. They have a car we'd rather have, a house we'd rather have. Their kids obey the first time, right? You don't have to do that mumble thing, <laughs> right? And you're like, how do your kids obey? <laughs> Hi, can I ask you a question? Why are your kids good? <laughs> you know, right? But you see someone, you see someone's life, and you begin to think, oh, they are better than me. Right? And so we begin to be jealous. Comparison always does this. And little kids, they don't really do this. But as we get older, we notice the differences between us. And it leads us to not really be our best selves, right? You know, in the Bible, it talks about this in Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 4. It says, In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. So what is this verse talking about? 
it's talking about how if you are a Christ follower, if you are following after Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to him, right? That doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't still sometimes mess up, right? But your focus of your life is on trying to follow Jesus, right? If that's who you are, then this scripture is saying, then you are part of Christ's body. You, and that's why when you hear people say, we are all part of the body of Christ, or here we are gathered and we're the body of Christ. That's what they're, they're referring to this verse. This is what's called the church. The church is not a building. It's not a place. It's us. It's every single one of us. We are the church. And this verse is saying that every single one of us makes up the body of Christ. And it's using the body as an example here to make it clear. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be, without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with others or trying to be something we aren't. Man, that's a beautiful verse. So what is it saying here? It's saying that every single one of us is part of this body. So maybe you sitting here today are a thumb, right? Maybe you here sitting today, you are a spleen. Maybe you here sitting today. But what's, what, what use is a spleen outside of a body? It doesn't have a use, right? When you see like organ, when they transplant organs, it's not like they can just take out a lung and then they say, okay, like in three weeks, we're going to like do something with this. Absolutely not. They're like running, right? They're trying to get that organ into another body as quick as they can because our body parts don't really have any use outside of the body. And this verse is saying that we are the same way, that when we cut ourselves off from the body of Christ, then we are like a cut-off thumb or a cut-off toe, right? And unless you find having a drawer full of severed thumbs cool, <laughs> then, you know, it's not, right? They don't have a function. They don't have a purpose. And so every single one of us, we have to stay connected to the body of Christ. But not only is this saying that we need to stay connected, but it's saying that you have a purpose, that you have a function. You ask people who lose a toe, right? They have to relearn how to walk. I mean, think about it. Sometimes, you know, have you guys ever looked at your feet and you're like, you are ugly, what is your point? It's so weird. It's like a useless hand on my foot, you know? But it actually has a function. Whether or not you think it looks good, it has a function. In the same way, we have these organs inside of us that we don't see, right? And so you could say, what, what good are tonsils? They're pretty good. They have a function, and they're needed in the body. And then it says here, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously fun functioning parts in Christ's body, let's go ahead and be who we were made to be. Every single one of you were made to be something. We're made to be someone. What does that mean, made to be? Jesus made you. God made you, formed you for a purpose, formed you for a reason. And so this verse is giving you permission to be who God has called you to be to do what he has called you to do. And so I have a question for you. Do you really believe 
that you are excellently formed and are a marvelously functioning part. Think about yourself. Think about your life. Think about how you think about yourself. When you mess up, when you wake up in the morning, when you stub your toe, you know when I stub my toe, you know what I always say? Why do I always do this? Right? I get mad because I'm in so much pain and you're so mad. Why didn't I walk around that cupboard instead of into the cupboard? Right? And I get mad at myself. But I don't always do this. The majority of my steps are not stubbing my toe. Right? But so many of the, th so many of the things that we think about ourselves are not that we are excellently formed and marvelously functioned. We believe the lie that we are not great, that we're not good, that we just mess up, that we're terrible, that there's no use for us, right? That there's no function. In fact, a lot of us, we see people, you know, you, you, you come to church, you come on a Sunday morning, and you say, man, they talk a lot about there being a place for me. But really, what place could there be for me? I can't sing. I don't play piano. I, I can't really speak. I don't speak good. And I hate babies, right? <laughs> I'm scared of babies. They probably need people in the nursery. I'm not into that. Diapers, disgusting. Just so you know, you don't have to change diapers in our nursery. We just call the parents, so you should work in the nursery. But <laughs> I, can't, I can't be around babies. If I touch them, they cry. I don't understand them, right? And so we think, because I can't do those things, there's no place for me. But there is a place for you. Beyond those things, right? We have to really believe, God, am I marvelously functioning? Am I excellently formed? Do I really believe I am who you say I am? Correct? You know the word incredible? That movie, Incredibles. The word incredible, it has an interesting definition. And it's one that, that I don't think that we realize what it is. Because we use it in a way that like, this coffee is incredible, right? You should see this movie. It was incredible. Oh, my friend, they are incredible, right? And so we use it in a way that says, this thing is so awesome, so great, so wonderful, but the actual definition of the word is impossible to believe. Isn't that interesting? So the movie Incredibles is impossible to believe, and I'm trying to get that through my kid's head. <laughs> Actually, you can't do that. That's impossible to believe, right? That's not real. This is a cartoon. But that's how a lot of us view what God says we are. When God, when we read the Bible or we come to church and they say, God formed you, God made you, you have a purpose. We say, that's incredible. That's impossible for me to believe. And we discount what God says about us. We discount what he, his truth and his word. The other things that it says is it's highly unlikely, doubtful, unconvincing, far-fetched, implausible. I love this song right now. It's Hillsong Worship's new album. It's the first song. I don't know what it's called. But one of the things in the chorus, it says, I am who you say I am. And I love that line. Because in the Bible, God says you are a lot of things. Do you really believe them? Do you really believe you are who he says you are? I don't every day. Sometimes I wake up and I don't believe I am who God says I am. Right? I believe I am who I say I am. You know, mess up, not doing good enough, 
not, you know, whatever, not making it, failing? Or am I, am, do I really believe I am who God says I am? That I was made on purpose and for a purpose. We have to change our minds and begin to really believe and say, God, I'm going to trust you and have faith that I am who you say I am. We're going to turn into our Bibles, into the book of Acts. I'm going to tell you guys a cool story about a lady. But first, I just want to give you a little bit of um, background. So this is Jesus. He's lived on the earth for three and a half years. He's died. He's risen from the dead, and now he's in heaven. So his disciples, who are with him for three and a half years, they are going around, and they are preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus. They're telling people about Jesus' life, that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior, the one everyone's been waiting for. And so people are getting saved. They're coming into the church by the thousands. And just like Jesus did miracles, the disciples are doing miracles all over the place. People are being healed. They're being raised from the dead. The blind are seeing just incredible things are happening. And there's one person, you might remember him, Peter. And Peter got to spend three and a half years with Jesus. And he's kind of like the leader of this movement. And um, he is, his reputation is getting huge. People, it literally says in Acts chapter 5, that when people hear Peter is going to be walking through their town, walking through the streets, they're literally grabbing people, the sick, and they're bringing them into the streets just for the hope that maybe his shadow will pass by them. So they're not even like, maybe he'll pray for this person. They're like, even if his shadow touches you, you're going to be in a better state. That's incredible, right? That's amazing. And so his reputation is just huge. It doesn't say that his shadow actually was healing people, but it says that people believed that his shadow could. So we don't know. Maybe his shadow was healing people. Maybe it wasn't. But the point is, is that that's how amazing what was going on is happening is, is that people even believe if even your shadow gets this person, then they're going to be better off, right? And so from there, we see in Acts 9, verse 36, it says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. When I was a teenager, I was in a youth group, and there was a girl who was a couple years older than me, and her name was Tabitha. And so I always called her Dorcas, and she really loved that. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This is an amazing story, an incredible story, actually. It is a bit impossible to believe. This lady, Tabitha, who, who is not an ordinary lady, she is an ordinary lady, but she's living her life in an extraordinary way. And so she dies, and it says that she's full of good works and charity. Man, what a beautiful legacy to be known as someone who is full of good works 
and charity. When I die, I know they're going to say, she was full of espresso. <laughs> right? I got to work towards those other things, but right now, she's full of coffee. But she was full of good work. She was full of charity. She dies, and she's dead for enough time. It's not like she's been dead 10 minutes, 20 minutes, three hours. She's dead for enough time that they've washed her, that they've prepared her. They made her ready to go be put in a tomb, right? And yet someone says, wait, remember Peter? Peter's nearby. Let's go get Peter. Maybe Peter will come. Maybe Peter can do something right? And so they run, and they get Peter, and Peter comes to the house, and while he's coming to the house, it says, remember that line? It said, and all these widows were surrounding him, weeping, showing him the tunics and other garments that she made. This is significant. Tabitha was living her life full of good works, full of acts of charity, and apparently she's making clothes for people. She's making for clothes for people in her community. And not only just people in her community, she's making clothes for widows in her community. She's helping the helpless. And this time, the widows, they didn't have a lot in their life. They, didn't, they, were, they, were, they were at the mercy of other people that would help them. And so that's why in the church, in, in Acts, they're actually commanded, you need to take care of the widows. And today is the same thing. We have to take care of our widows and so she's taking care of these people. And so they're coming and they're weeping the loss of this woman. Not only for who she was, but also for what she did. They're weeping the loss in their community of this person that was giving so much. And so Peter goes into the room, and I love it when he says, arise, arise. And she comes back to life. What an incredible story. And you know, today, I think that there's a lot of us who we are like this woman where we've let dreams, we've let vision, we've let things that used to, we used to have a heart for something, right? Maybe you were excited about something as a kid. Oh, maybe I'll do this one day. Maybe you have a heart for a certain group of people and we've let those things die, right? Because we compare. Well, if I was as talented as the Apostle Peter, maybe I could do something with my life. Maybe I could help these people. Maybe I could actually help my neighbors if I was like so-and-so. And because of comparison, because we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us, we exclude ourselves from the things that God has actually formed us to do and to be. But this woman didn't do that. And I want you to think about how significant this is, that she's living in a time where a man is nearby who has actually talked to Jesus personally, right? Peter talked to Jesus a lot, and he got rebuked a lot, right? He talked to Jesus a lot. He knew Jesus personally. And now he is preaching, right? Which we always, as Christians, we think, if someone's preaching, they're amazing. Yeah, right. You guys all know me, so you're like, why <laughs> should throw that out the window, right? No, no we, that's not true, right? And so, oh, he's preaching. He must be amazing. He's seeing all these miracles. And so she could have easily, like you and I sometimes do, excluded herself from being used by God because she felt like someone was being used in a more important way. And don't we sometimes do this? Well, you know... <laughs> Helping my neighbor, inviting my neighbor who lost his wife over once a week, that's not even a big deal, so I'm not even going to do it. 
It is a big deal. It changes someone's life. I was talking in first service, how I was talking to Jake about this guy in our church who, who is a fisherman. And this week, he took out these two young men and young guys and taught them how to fish. What a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing. And how he, this guy, he has lots of other ministries. He's an awesome guy. He ministers to people. But that right there, that changes lives. And so we, so many times, we can think what our contribution is, it's insignificant, right? Tabitha, all I know how to do is sew. I'm not outside healing people in the streets. No one cares about my shadow. But she didn't let that stop her. She used what she had, and she impacted her community. And that's what every single one of us has to do, is say, God, man, maybe I don't have a lot, but this is what I have. And if you can use it, use me, right? And that's when we'll see our families change, our communities change, our neighborhoods change, our work environments change, our schools change. It's when we say, I don't have a lot, I'm not as good as them, but what I have, will you use me? So I have three points for you. Number one, do you believe God wants to use you? That's where it all starts. You have to, in the core of who you are, genuinely believe that God wants to use you. So many of us, we live our lives just believing God could never use me. You have to begin to have faith and say, God, I don't see it. You say I'm all these awesome things in the Bible, right? You say I can do it. You say you form me with a purpose. I don't see that purpose when I look in the mirror. But I'm going to have faith and believe that I am who you say I am. Do you really believe that God wants to use you? Because he does, just like the body, right? God is using our livers. <laughs> Nobody wants their liver to not work anymore. It's horrible when that happens. But we don't see it every day. And so we could say, that seems insignificant. Do you really believe you are who God says you are? Do you really believe that God can use you? That's number one. Number two, what are the gifts God has given you? What are the things that God has placed in your hand? You know, my daughter, she's, she's six years old, and she's very friendly, and she's always been friendly since she was very tiny, like a little baby. She was friendly. And, and I remember when Jack was born, Evie was only two years old, and we were hiking around Hendricks Park, and there was these older kids playing up ahead on the trail. And um, Evie went running to them, and that's how she's always been, another human, even animal. She's going to run to them and try to be their friend, right? That's who she is. And she ran up to them, and she said, you want to be my BFF? <laughs> or no, she didn't say BFF at that point. She said best friend. You want to be my best friend? And, I w and they looked at her kind of funny, right? Because this is like a tiny toddler asking them to be their best friend. And then they ran off, and they didn't say anything to her. And so she's like, walks back to me, and I said, oh, you know, you're so sweet, baby. That was so good. Maybe you're coming on a little strong. You know, you just met them. They're strangers, and you're saying best friend. Maybe start with friend, right? Start one step at a time. Move to best in like five minutes, you know. But like start step one and then step two. You know, it's a little clingy. You know, you got to just take it step by step. But she's a friend. She's a friendly person. She's really good at finding those kids who, who, who 
are on the outskirts that don't feel like they belong, that feel kind of like left out and becoming their friend and bringing them in, right? It's a gift that God has given her. And so I tell her that, Evie, God made you into such a good friend. You are such a good friend that is so helpful to people. I tell her, you know, why that's a good thing, how she helps people. Now she's six years old. So she is starting to compare herself to other kids. She's starting to exclude. She's starting to see kids not be nice to each other. And sometimes she does those same things. And so what do I do? I say, Evie, remember who God made you to be. God made you, gave you a special gift at being a friend. So you got to be a good friend to people. Include them. Bring them in. Use that gift that God has given you. Why do I do that? Because I'm her parent, and it's so easy for us, because of life, to let things, gifts, talents, abilities, to just go to sleep, right? It's easy for us, because of life, to just say, I'm not going to be a good friend anymore, or I'm not going to help people anymore, or I'm not going to live my life for others anymore. Oh, I tried to help that neighbor, and they're a jerk. So all my neighbors are like that, right? Oh, I tried to be helpful at work, and my head got cut off again. Hopefully none of your heads are actually getting cut off at work, right? And so life happens, and we let those gifts that God has given us just slowly die. But today, Jesus is coming into this room, into this place, and he's saying to you, arise, wake up, let those things come back to life, right? I parent my child, and I say, look, you're starting to go this way with your friendship levels, bad and you need to come back to who you were created to be and that's what God is doing with every single one of us today listen you walk this way but this is who I created you to be come back come back what are the gifts that God has given you it can be super practical like Tabitha well it's just practical I'm just taking someone fishing it doesn't matter it matters the world to the person that you took it matters the world to that person what are the things the gifts that God has placed inside of you And number three, are you living your life in a way that people would weep the loss of you? And this one's a little bit, you know, on the macabre side, right? It's a little sad. But literally, when you get to the end of your life, are you going to make an impact in a way where people will say, no, no, holding tunics and weeping, no, not this person. I mean, I hope my family cries when I die, right? No laughing, Jake. Who's going to do my laundry? No! (laughs) Right? But my family, I hope I live my life in a way where my family is sad. But I also hope I live my life in a way that I make an impact on my neighbors. I make an impact on my coworkers. I make an impact on my community. That I didn't live my life all bottled up, excluding myself my whole life, not letting God use me. I want to live my life open and big and say, you know what? People are going to use me, right? But that's okay because God is using me. I want to live my life big. This is the big lie of Christianity in our world. It says that if you become a Christian, your life becomes so small because God just has all these rules. And so if you're one of those Christians, you know, your life, it just becomes like a little box and you can't do all the fun stuff. My life has become so big because of following Jesus. Not small, it's way bigger than I ever thought it could be. 
I've been a Christian for 29 years and I'm doing my best, right? I make mistakes every single day. What does that mean, being a Christian? It means I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to follow him. And my life could have been lived for myself. And when I look at the things that I've had to say, no, that's not the dream God has for me. I'm going to do this thing that God told me to do. Every time in that moment it was hard, but my life is so much better now. It's so much bigger now. I have so much joy, so much peace in my life because of following Jesus. By saying, God, what are the dreams that you have for me? Today, can you, can you rethink, God, what are the dreams inside of me I've let die? I want him to wake up again. There was a man, his name was, he's still alive, Father Larry Gillick. He's from Crichton University. He's a professor there. And he was uh, speaking at a, a, a Catholic elementary school. You know, he just went in, spoke to something. And it was third and fourth graders he was speaking to. And this little girl comes up to him afterwards to talk to him, to ask him some questions. And so he's talking to this third grader. And all of a sudden she says, oh, you're blind. And he had been blind since he was a child. He had a childhood disease that made him blind. So he'd been a child most, or he'd been blind most of his life. And so he smiles at her and he says, that's not news to me. And she says, but you don't know what you look like. And he's kind of taken back by the profoundness of this, of this statement that a third grader made. So he, you know, it's kind of taken back for a second. He doesn't respond right away. And in that silence, she says, you're beautiful. Let me tell you something. Today, you are the blind professor. And you don't know what you look like. We think we do, right? We think we have ourselves all figured out. Oh, I'm not good at this, and I'm not great at that, and I'm terrible at this, and I always mess up. And we put ourselves in a little box. But God today is coming to you, and he's saying, you don't know what you look like. You don't even know what you look like. You're beautiful. Because he's the one who made you. He's the one who formed you. You weren't made on accident. You weren't a mistake. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. And God wants to show you that purpose in your life. And maybe today you're here and you, you're not a follower of Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's not, you know, like a magic prayer. It's not, you know, special secret words or a special secret handshake to get into the club of Christians. It's literally just people saying, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God, and I believe you rose from the dead. And maybe I don't know everything, but if you can use my life, you can have it. That's what every single one of us are here. Is we're just people saying, I don't always do it right, but God, if you can use my life, you can have it. And today, if that's you and you're saying, man, I want to follow Jesus. I want to take that next step. I want to give my life to God. Would you say this prayer with me? We're going to say a prayer. So if you just, everyone will bow their heads, close their eyes, and everyone, if you will just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming and living on earth for me. Thank you for making me 
Thank you for forming me. I don't believe everything yet. Will you help me? I believe in you. I believe you rose from the dead. I give you my life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Bethany.